This morning, we have the, uh, we have the pleasure of welcoming the stage. Don't clap for him yet. Um, uh, Pastor Doug Sherman, who's from Grace Harvest Church, Jesus Lake. Um, Pastor Doug is a, is a, I should say Pastor Doug and Peggy are great friends of this particular house. Um, my dad uh, has said to me a number of occasions that Doug is probably his best friend, especially in ministry. Um, and, uh, and I personally... I've personally been very impacted by uh, by Doug, not just his his preaching ability or his uh, you know his prophetic acumen, but Doug's a real dad, and uh, I've been able to come to him at many many different times in my uh, in my life and ministry, and he's helped me through a number of different difficult uh, issues, and uh, and I'm just excited for Pastor Doug this morning to uh, to bring the word. So if you could, as he's coming up, can we just uh, give Pastor Doug and Peggy a round of applause? Amen. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right. Still? Oh, yeah. Still morning. Good. good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> All right. So good to be here. Oh, I guess I probably should let you start first. No, you go ahead. Okay. This is my wife, Peggy. Hi, Peggy Sherman. Married to Doug Sherman. You might have heard of him, you know. Um, <laughs> Anyway, good to be here. We love this church. Absolutely. I think um, we've been uh, connected with this church for over 20 years. Yeah. 1993, right? Yeah, that's um, 28 years. Right. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. As I said in the first so service, young. I was 12 at that time, so <laughs> that's right. uh, first time we're here. Yeah, so. But uh, yes, love this church. Love um, just seeing what God has been doing over those 28 years. Pretty amazing. Yes. Pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, Doug and Peggy, we've been married uh, 34 years, um, live in Moses Lake, Washington, mm-hmm. um, four adult children, three granddaughters. Um, we are recent puppy parents. Um, we, yeah, big dog. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're kind of being challenged. Yeah. <laughs> if you notice our pants and clothes yeah, we are got slimed. And, yeah. yeah, we've been anyway, slimed a couple We brought times her on today, the trip so. with us. So um, anyway, so good to be here. The presence of the Lord is a wonderful thing to experience in other. I mean, it's always wonderful to experience. But when you go to other churches and you see, wow, this is God, you're you're here too. I mean, we know that yeah. we know yeah. He's omnipresent, right? But when we see that He's here in another um, culture, you know, because you yeah. guys really are a different culture, and yeah. and I just think of the body of Christ around the world as Amen. such a beautiful thing to experience. Yeah. So um, thank you, um, and I'm excited about what God is going to impart to you this morning. So Amen. God bless. Amen. Thanks, love. Amen. Do I give this to you? Here. Let me, no, just kidding. I like to see Joel sweat. It'd be fun. Good morning. Great to be with you today. Thank you for hosting us. Uh, we've been having a great time. I, I, I was really aware of God's presence in both the services and really felt like he was with us in the ministry of the word as well. So I'm excited about sharing the word that I have with you today. Uh, before I do, though, there's a, a few things I wanted to share with you and, uh, and just to, to, kind of, to kind of encourage you as Pastor Jeff and Robbie come back and as they get back in the saddle again. Um, one of the things that Pastor Jeff said to me is he would like me to come just before he returns home uh, to kind of, you know, maybe help because I've been on sabbaticals and we've talked a lot about it. You know, how can we help? 
prepare for them coming back in and, and kind of getting back in the saddle. So, Pastor Jeff, if you're watching, uh, I just exposed your secret, bro. Anyway, so, uh, so a couple of things I just want to encourage you with before I get into the message uh, to think, uh, I guess, for them as they come back in and, and they begin to, you know, uh, re-engage with their leadership role. The first thing is, is give them a little space and a little time to get back in the saddle. And what I mean by that is don't overwhelm them immediately with life updates and, you know, um, sometimes people will be like the very first time they see you after you come back from a sabbatical. And it's kind of strange because you've been disconnected from your home church for a while and you come back in and you're, you're getting a sense of the feel and the atmosphere and the environment and you're re-engaging with people. The other thing you're doing is you're looking around and you're noticing for some of you, for instance, that are here and have come into the church since they went on their sabbatical, you don't even know who pastors Jeff and Robbie are, right? And so you're like, I don't even know who you're talking about. But those of you who know them, the tendency is to come right up to them and be like, let me, let me give you a breakdown the last three months, point by point, point number one. And then you start to break down your life, their, your life and what's been happening. And I would just encourage you to maybe wait a little bit on that and, and you know, not overwhelm them. Um, the other thing is, is to hold your expectations of what a sabbatical should produce in them lightly. Uh, one of the things that I experienced when I went on a sabbatical was people before I went, they're like, oh, I'm so excited for you, Pastor Doug. I know you're going to go and you're going to have a personal revival and you're going to get refreshed and God's going to download revelation to you and you're going to come back more anointed and powerful than you've ever been before. And I'm like, no pressure. (laughs) I mean, think about it. What happened to me, I, I, I have to tell you, is God started doing something in me that I'd recognized right at the end. I'm like at the end of my sabbatical, the last two weeks, and finally it's like, oh, he's getting through my thick skull. And everything that's been going on, he's, he's finally getting to those things he's been trying to touch in me for a while. And it took me months after I returned to really fully integrate the things that I felt God had been saying to me. So, you know, kind of keep your expectations, hold them, hold them lightly. Um, also remember that God started something in them, as I just said, that takes much longer than the period of the sabbatical. And lastly, celebrate and honor them. Remember that because they said yes 14 years ago, you are experiencing the fruit of their obedience and their yes. Amen? Now, you have a great staff, great pastors, great leaders. Everybody's so anointed up here. I mean, you have an incredible church. You are loaded. I hope you realize what you got. I'm jealous, okay? I'm dealing with envy the whole service, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm down there like casting down imaginations and <laughs> engaging in warfare, right? You have an amazing church. You have a great church. And it started with this couple who said yes to the Lord and stepped out there, ventured out there in the land of risk because you spell faith, R-I-S-K, right? Right? And so they ventured out into the land of risk and faith, not knowing what was awaiting them And now, 14 years later, it's incredible what God has done here. And as I said, I think I've been a part of ministry in one way or another in this church since either 93 or 97, so that's a long time. And I've watched this church transform and explode in growth and health, and I've seen so many transformed lives. And, and, And that started with a simple, okay, Lord, we'll take this risk, we'll do it. So honor them and celebrate them when they come back, amen? All right, will you pray with me? And then I'm going to get right into the message I have for you. 
Father, I thank you for the people of this house, for House of the Lord. I thank you for all of the team here, all of the staff. What an amazing staff. What an amazing team. Thank you for the unity here, for what you're doing here. Thank you for the testimony that this place, as a city set on a hill, is, is, is shouting forth, proclaiming all around to the towns, the cities, the villages, the people, north, south, east, and west, everywhere. Thank you for it. Lord, I pray today you would bless me as I speak and bless us. I pray that you would anoint me to speak as it were the very oracles of God, that you'd be with my mouth and my mind, that you'd help me to be bold and clear and accurate. You'd open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. Lord, that you would encourage us, build us up, stir us up, cheer us up, challenge us, Lord. Adjust us. Do in us what you want to do. And help me not get in the way. And Holy Spirit, make a big deal about Jesus today. Make Jesus glorious and beautiful, more majestic, more magnificent to us than ever before. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dave Stone shares this story. He says, several years ago, our family was in the Dominican Republic on a short-term mission trip. If you've ever driven in a developing country, you know how dangerous the traffic can be. Vehicles whiz past coming within just a few feet of children that are playing close to the road. One night, my son Sam was playing a game in his own little world. In this game, he would zigzag back and forth from the sidewalk onto the narrow street and back. It wasn't a heavily traveled road, but there was always loud music blaring, and it was pitch dark. From about 10 feet away, I suddenly shouted, Samuel, don't move! Immediately, he froze. About a second later, a moped zipped past him, going 30 miles an hour with no lights on, right where Sam was about to step. My six-year-old didn't ignore me. He didn't argue or blatantly disobey I said, freeze, and he froze. That obedience probably saved his life. Hearing the right voice at the right time will save our lives as well and give us life. Amen? My message for you today is called Ears to Hear. The challenge and the promise of hearing God's voice. As a pastor... I've become very aware that we live in a difficult time to hear God's voice. Because of all the distractions and the busyness of our time, the lack of Bible reading and prayer, and the many voices yelling at us, and they're all yelling the same thing, listen to me! Because of that, it's become very difficult to silence all those voices and hear what God is saying to us. Today, I want to challenge you That God wants you to hear His voice. And I want to encourage you with the promise that God wants to talk to you. Think about this. You know, if you go to your therapist, I'm not saying you have one, but if you did, and you went to your therapist and you said, typically, you said, "Um, I talk to God every day. He'd say, that's great. He or she would say, that's great. And then if you said, and God talks back, then he'd want to give you medication probably. Right? Because it seems crazy that God would talk to us. But we know that this promise exists from Genesis to Revelation that God is a communicating God. That it is His nature to speak. That He's not hiding Himself, nor has He gone silent. 
that he didn't finish the Bible 2,000 years ago through the apostolic witness and then suddenly decide, I'm not talking to my people anymore. Yes, he will primarily speak to us through the written word, but he will talk to us through creation, through, through everything in nature, through other people, through our own, in, through the own indwelling Holy Spirit. He will speak to us in the craziest ways if we'll just listen to him. And it's his desire and it's his design that we be a people that are attuned to him and hear him every day. It doesn't always have to be dramatic, but God wants to speak to us. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. Unfortunately, we live in a time when there are so many other voices that are drowning out the voice and the heart of God. And many of them have masqueraded as voices of righteousness and voices of goodness, but they are not. Because they have distracted us away from the nature of Jesus. They've taken us away from what God is like. And I'm here today to challenge you that God wants to speak to you and He wants you to hear His voice. How many of you believe that? Now listen, before you're like, yeah, duh, this is like Christianity 101. And I'll just agree with you. Amen. Yeah, duh, it is Christianity 101. But in the next few minutes, I believe I'm going to share some things with you that are going to challenge some of you to recognize that what you think is the voice of God is not the voice of God in your life. And that you've actually let other voices get involved in what you're hearing and they're making it difficult to hear God. Amen? You love me though, right? Okay, so my first point, if you're taking notes today, are the ch- is the challenge to hear God's voice in our time. I want to challenge you that we're to hear God's voice in our time. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 3 and 4. And this is a very well-known text in Scripture. This is famously known as the Shema. And this is what Jews, this is what Hebrew people would quote all the time. This is often what was involved in Shabbat on Sabbath day. This is what was involved in a number of their feasts. It was part of their daily confession as it was. And and that is Hebrews 6, 3, and 4. And and this is what Moses is writing here. And just to give you a little bit of background, um, Deuteronomy means the second telling of the law. It means the second time through. So what, what happened was, is Moses delivered the commandments, the laws of God to the nation of Israel. And then they wondered, right? They wondered for 40 years. Most of that generation died off. And because of because he didn't listen to God and he disobeyed God, he wasn't allowed to take Israel into the promised land. But just before Moses died or disappeared, he came before the people a second time. And that's what Deuteronomy means, the second time, the second telling. And he rehearsed the faithfulness of God. He told them once again the story of God and what God had done for them and how God had protected them and clothed them and he gave them shoes and clothing that never wore out and fed them daily with manna from heaven and he caused rocks to bring forth water so that they might drink and and protected them from their enemies and led them through the wilderness. And he's telling them all this and then he comes to this section and he says this. He says, Hear therefore, O Israel, And be careful to do them. What is the them? The commandments of God, the law of God. Be careful to do them that it may go well with you. Can you say shalom? Shalom. So the idea here is that it may go shalom with you, well with you. You'll you'll have that sense of inner peace and joy and health and life will be what God designed life to be, okay? And that you may multiply greatly. 
This was a sign of blessing on Israel, the multiplication of them as a nation. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And then he goes to the next level, in a land flowing with milk and honey. What's God saying? Listen, if you'll listen to what I'm saying, if you'll hear me when I'm talking to you, I'm going to give you that sense of things being well with you. I'm going to give you multiplication. And I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey. What does that mean? Everything you need. All you will ever need in life to become all that I've created you to be will be available for you. And the key in all of it is what? And then he continues. He says it a second time. Verse 4. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. God constantly commands and appeals to his people to hear him. It's a theme that you see throughout scripture. God pleading with his people, please listen to me. My way is right. My way is healthy and holy and good. I'm not a killjoy. I'm not telling you not to do certain things because I'm a bummer. I've created you a certain way. If you'll do what I say, it will be well with you. You'll have joy. You'll have happiness. Your families will be well. It'll be good. Shema, Shema, listen, listen, listen. This is the plea of God throughout the Bible. Psalm 81.13, God continues this appeal. If you read the entire Psalm, Psalm 81, it'll, it's very challenging because over and over again, God is rebuking his people because they don't listen. And look what he says in verse 13. He says, oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that Israel would follow me walking in my paths. And so that we see that listening and following will lead to walking in the right way, right? How many of you want to have a good walk? It starts with your ears. It starts with your ability to listen. One of the things you see in this text is that God yearns for His people to listen to Him. If you read between the lines, you can hear the cry, the yearning, and even the pain in God's call to listen to Him. Like a parent who is heartbroken for a child who will not listen, so is God heartbroken for His own children. He always sees where His children will go if they don't listen. He sees and grieves over their painful consequences. If you've ever been a a parent of a child that has gone astray, you know what that's like. You you appeal. You beg. Maybe you even get angry and you blow it and you say things you wish you could take back. But the reason you do is because you're wiser than they are. You've lived longer than they have. You've been stupid. Right? How many of you got some scars? Right? How many of you got some wounds? Because you did dumb stuff because you didn't listen to God and you see them going down that road and what do you do? You, you appeal to them. You beg them. You plead with them. Don't do that. I'm telling you, you are not an exception to the rule. If you go down that road, you're not going to avoid the inevitable. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. It's going to happen. You are not the only one that is going to be able to avoid the laws of God. It's just like standing on a cliff and saying, I can fly. And you're looking up at that person and you're saying, no, you can't. And they jump off. Gravity wins every time. 
And the laws of God, the created ways of God, win every time. And so you can hear the plea of God. God's not a bummer. He's not trying to make your life no fun. He knows the way He created you. He's your maker, your redeemer. He's the one who formed and shaped you. If you go His way, it'll be well. If you don't, there's going to be pain. He's like, choose life. You know, I put before you today, Death and life. Choose life. He gives you the answer. He gives you the, the, the quiz and then he gives you the answer. Am I talking to anybody? But we listen to other voices that make it hard to hear God. We have many counter voices within our culture right now that make it hard to hear God and follow his voice. Many sounds, many yellers and screamers. A lot of agitation, a lot of anger. Right now, I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Come on, let's be honest. It's crazy. I share this story from a father. It's an unknown source. I I don't know who he is. But he says this a few summers ago. I watched our 18-year-old son participate in an X-ball paintball tournament. He said, with sophisticated paintball guns that shoot 13 paintballs per second, the matches are quick and exciting. They're also chaotic. The X-ball concept depends on five players from each team shooting at their opponents and working their way up a large outdoor field. The goal is to kill. That is to hit with a paintball the other team's players so you can capture their flag. It's not an easy task. The main problem is that in the midst of thousands of flying paintballs, it's tough to spot your opponents. The other team can crouch and dive behind bunkers and barriers. To make matters even worse, as your team's coach shouts the right information about your opponent's locations, the other team's fans start yelling false information. When I heard the other fans intentionally confusing my son's teammates, I was shocked. It sounded like cheating to me, or at least a whole lot of incivility. But after the match, my son calmly informed me, oh yeah, dad, that's called counter-coaching. They're trying to distract our players with false information. It's part of the game, dad. We have to deal with it all the time. It just means that we have to focus on our coach and block out all the other distractions. The Bible clearly warns us that it's not easy to listen for God's voice. There will be plenty of counter-coaching from the culture, the devil, and from our own distracted hearts. As my son said, that's part of the game. We have to deal with it all the time. And there's only one way to combat spiritual counter-coaching. It's to know the voice of Jesus. To hang on His every word as we trust and obey Him. Even when the crowd tells us to do something else. Now, I'm going to go down a road right now that's probably going to hit some of you right between the eyes. I want you to know that I'm going to end with, this is the challenge of hearing God's voice. I'm going to end with the promise of hearing God's voice. So before we get into the promise and the pleasure and the joy of hearing God and, and, you know, being promised by God that he will talk to us and lead us, we're going to talk about some stuff that's going to hit some of you between the eyes. And I just want to encourage you to listen carefully and open up your heart because here are some examples of counter-coaching that we need to be aware of and cautious of in our time. 
before I, I get into them, I also want to say this. You'll notice that they kind of go across um, generational lines. They, they start with maybe kind of the older generation. When I say older, ooh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. I'm going to say maybe 45 or 50 and up, and then, and then you'll notice that the other things I'm going to talk about affect more often the younger generation. So listen to this. The first one, counter-coaching voices in our time is news personalities. See, I'm really concerned about how much influence certain news personalities are having over the lives of some of God's people. When you listen to what news personalities say more than what the scriptures say about life and conduct, something is wrong. Beware lest you lose the ability to hear God because you put more authority in what your favorite pundit says than you do in God's word. Let me remind you of something. News has changed. Those of you that are a little bit older, you remember Walter Cronkite. Right, there were three basic, right, three main um, networks, and every evening they had the evening news, usually at 6 and 10, I think it was. I remember being a, a boy and watching the news with my parents, and they would look, you know, every night there'd be kind of that news time, and, and then you'd watch it, and then you'd be done. You'd eat dinner, and you'd go on with your life, and it reported what was going on. I'm not saying it didn't have some spin, but there was a lot less spin and a lot more news. And then, of course, cable news networks came, came along, and they began to give us 24-7, 365, and they realized something. The only way they can keep your attention is they have to make it exciting. It's got to move fast with flashy, flashy graphics and lots of intensity and, and music that lifts up your, your blood pressure and, and causes adrenaline to flow in you. And then they get guys to come on, and everybody's yelling at each other, and there's debates and argument, and the other side's bad guys, and they're out to s- destroy your life. And then they understand something. You're there. You're agitated. You're angry. You're going to watch, and then it goes to the commercial break. And then you're like, I need that. Right? Because here's the reality. Modern day news has an agenda. The main agenda is your eyes and your attention because they want to generate revenue. So they want to get in your pocket and take your money They don't care about you. They don't care about your soul, your life. They call it truth. But whether it's on the right hand or the left hand side, it's propaganda. We have to recognize it for what it is. And you're being conditioned. And the fact that you're agitated and angry and you see the other side and other people as your enemy and and at times you're like, you want to be like James and John and call down fire and consume them all. In the name of the Lord. Right? That's a problem. When James and John, Jesus' disciples, wanted to call down fire, Jesus said to them, you don't know what spirit you're of. And I want to challenge us, what spirit are we of? Whose voice are we listening to? Who's agitating you? Who's got you angry and fearful and, and, and stirred up constantly? Is it Jesus? I don't think so. Well, anyway, we'll move on. Next point, TV, movie, music, and sports personalities. Oh, man, the influence and the voice of those who entertain us has become scary. Often we trust what some athlete or TV personality says over what scripture or trustworthy people in our lives have to say. 
I always ask my question, how do they align with Jesus and the kingdom and the gospel? How do they align? And we, we begin to see the generational fallout here. This is maybe a little bit more of a younger generation that are being moved by those who are in TV, movie, music, and sports personalities. I know a lot of you in here are probably like, they're idiots. I don't take anything they have to say seriously. But there are people who do. And their influence is unhealthy. And then we have the third one. And this really begins to deal more with the younger generation. And that is social media influencers. The younger generation especially take their cues from social media influencers who are personalities that can either lead you toward Christ or far from Him. I I keep up with some of the influencers out there and I just want to tell you, if you knew some of the stuff that our younger generation was imbibing from the social media influencers, you'd be shocked, you'd be amazed, and you'd be concerned. And in the same way, it's propaganda and the ultimate end is revenue. The more The more of an audience they have, the more likes they get, the more that gets shared, the more money they make, and the more their own life is benefited, right? And listen, not all social media influencers are bad. We have a a young woman in our church that has a a page that she, she has hundreds of thousands of followers, and it's amazing how God uses her, and she's truly an influencer, And the thing that's beautiful is is it's turned into a ministry. So now she gets letters every month from from people that are struggling in their marriages or their life, and she gives them input, and it's become a platform to reach them for Christ and to show them the way of the kingdom. But a lot of social media influencers influencers out there are not that way, right? So are are you primarily letting those voices shape what you believe and what you see about life? And the last one, and this one is going to be a little controversial, but religious personalities, YouTube preachers, right? People that are out there, YouTube preachers and teachers that are doing, some are doing a really good work, but some are misrepresenting Jesus and his gospel in very dangerous ways. Some are preaching a gospel of health, wealth, personal success, and comfort. If you follow Jesus, life will be good. It'll be easy. You'll never experience anything difficult. And I want to tell you, that's a bunch of fill in the blank. But then there are others out there that are claiming to have all the truth. They're very legalistic. They're angry. They're teaching everyone that doesn't follow them or believe the way that they believe that they're wrong. They're making us suspicious of our churches and our pastors. They're saying, we're the only little group over here that's really got the truth. We're on the inside. And everybody else is wrong. Do you want some secret knowledge? Do you want to be in the inner circle? Your pastors and leaders who have been in your life for 20 and 30 years, who are there when your babies are born, who welcome you into heaven when you pass away, who walk through the hard stuff with you, who faithfully break down the word of God every week, but maybe they're not quite as sexy sounding or sexy looking or they don't communicate, communicate quite as cool. You can't trust them. They're in your life, but you can't trust them. But I'm on YouTube and I don't know you. And I don't care about you, but subscribe. And I'll tell you the truth. And see, we're being taken in. And we need to recognize this. We need to recognize that there are voices at work in our world that are drowning out the voice of God. Amen? So that takes me. How many of you are like, okay, enough already. And you already got punched across the face and in the gut a couple times. Anybody but me? 
you're not going to tell me the truth, but I know, I know you, okay? So that takes me to the promise. Where does it lead us? It leads us to a promise. And here's the promise. You have a shepherd. You have a good shepherd who loves you, who cares for you, who provides for you, who feeds you and leads you and guides you and teaches you. And that good shepherd wants you to know his voice. In fact, he's promised that you'll know his voice. Amen? Look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 6, and then we'll look at verse 14. Jesus is speaking here. He says, I tell you the truth. By the way, whenever you see Jesus say, I tell you the truth, he's telling you the truth. It's a Greek word, amane, amane, where we get amen. So be it, so be it. Jesus is saying, he's saying, even before I tell you what I'm going to... See, we, we tack on amen at the end of a statement that we agree with, that we believe is truth. Jesus is saying, before I even talk to you, I want you to know right now I got an amen. That's what he's saying. I'm going to amen what I'm saying before I even start talking. Because, yeah, exactly. That's a mic drop. So he's like, amen. In some of you, you have, in some of your Bibles, you have assuredly or truly, truly, I say to you. Or, or if you have King James Version, verily, verily, I say unto thee. If thou wouldest, thou couldest, if thou shouldest. Yea, verily. Okay. So it's the same word. And it's the word... Truth, emane, emane. You can count on it, so be it. It's, you can bank on this, okay? So he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate most, must surely be a thief and a robber. So I've been talking about some of the thieves and robbers out there. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep recognizes his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Notice that, leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And I love the next verse. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. <laughs> and then verse 14, he interprets it for him. Okay, this is hermeneutics, the, the law and the science of interpreting Scripture. Jesus interprets what he just told him, and he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Hey, guys, if you didn't recognize it, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Let's think about the promise. The first thing is, is that Jesus' sheep recognize his voice and come to him. That's what he says. They recognize his voice and come to him. Does that make anybody in this room other than me feel good? You know, one time I was praying through the, the um, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I pray through it all the time, almost daily. I use it as part of my prayer life. The Lord is my shepherd. I have need of nothing. I have everything I need. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores. He refreshes, restores, renews my soul. Right? Oh, and then this part. I was praying this and this hit me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And boom, it went off inside of me. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm like, am I on the right track, Lord? Am I getting off anywhere? Am, am, am I deceived? 
Am I missing anything here? But it was like He let me know, as long as you're looking to me to be your shepherd, as long as you're concentrating on my heart and my voice, I will lead you. This is translated. This is what that means. I'll lead you in every right path for your life for the sake of my own reputation so I'll look good. Did you know that God is going to lead you in the right way because He's your shepherd just because of His own reputation? That's what my namesake means. So I was reading that and it went off inside of me and I felt incredible comfort because why? Jesus' sheep will recognize His voice and come to Him. So here's something for you. If you're a follower of Jesus, if the Holy Spirit has come to indwell you and you're born of God and you're a new creation, any new creations in this room, Amen. then you have a promise that you will hear His voice and come to Him. And He calls His own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows your name. He knows your name. It's my son Jason. He calls you by name. He speaks to you by name. He knows you by name. He knows you by name, Peggy. And He loves to call your name. Right? Just think about that. A true shepherd knows every one of his sheep. He knows all their characteristics. He can tell them apart. And he can call each of them by name. That's love. That's care. And that's the way he feels about you. And that's the way he thinks about you. To know a person's name is to know them. Names are intimate and personal. And Jesus calls you by name and leads you out into his world and his pastures. He's promised to do that. He's faithful to do that. Thirdly, Jesus' sheep follow Him because why? They know His voice. One of the hallmarks of being a true sheep in Jesus' flock is that you come to know His voice. You follow Him because you know His voice. This is central to being a Christian. And He speaks to us in so many ways. I, I, I'll tell you a quick testimony. A number of years ago, on my last sabbatical that I took, I was walking on the beach in southern Oregon. I was at, we were actually staying with a couple who used to be a part of your church here. They have a little cabin. They live down in, Go, in uh, Gold Beach. They live in Gold Beach near Brookings. And we went down and we were walking the beach. And, uh, and I, excuse me, I was walking the beach by myself. And nobody else was out there. It was a beautiful day. And I was watching the ocean. And uh, I was troubled. And I was struggling. I was struggling with identity type situations. I got into the trap of comparing my life with others. I got into the trap of comparing my so-called success with others. And I was, was battling on that inner struggle. Anybody ever gone through that? Okay, and the rest of you are liars. Okay, so I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> so as I was walking along, I began to look out at the ocean. And it was very intense that day. And usually the southern Oregon coast is. And waves were coming in. And they weren't coming in in sets where everything just kind of broke, you know, after one set, another set would come in. They were coming in like this, boom, 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 and then all over the place. And Some were taller and some were shorter. Some of the breaks on the waves lasted a much longer time, and some of them broke really quickly, and they had white caps immediately. And I noticed that every wave was different, and I began to reflect on the reality of the fact that in all of human history, that this ocean has been doing this, there had never been any wave like the wave I was just watching break. There were little tiny variances all through history. There are no two waves that are alike. 
There are no two breaks that are alike. There are no two waves who last exactly the same time. There are little variances and each of them was unique. And I noticed some of them lasted longer and they, they kind of were boastful, right? They were like, smash. And others were like, eh. And then others were like, whoop. And as I watched these waves, the Lord spoke to me immediately. And he said, the waves are like people. They're like ministries. They're like people. Every one of them is different. And I delight in every one of them. And I made them all. And some of them last a really long time. And some of them not as long. And some of them are higher. And some of them are lower. And every one of them break a little different. And the foam is a little different. Every one of them are unique. And that's the way I see you. Quit worrying about the other waves around you. And rejoice in the wave I made you to be. You don't know how much time you have in life. You don't know what's ahead of you. you. You don't know any of that. You have right now with God. Rejoice in who I made you to be. And I remember it made a profound impact on me. Now, here's the beautiful thing. God loved me enough because I'm one of his sheep that he wanted me to hear his voice. He wanted to be sure that that thing I was struggling with, which was attacking my mind and attacking my identity, would be dismantled by truth. And he used creation to tell me something that the scripture tells me over and over and over again. The apostle Paul warned us about comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. And he said it was carnal. So I was walking the beach being carnal. And the Lord's like, stop it. I like you the way I made you. Am I talking to anybody? You see... In Israel today, it's still possible to witness a scene that Jesus almost certainly saw 2,000 years ago, that of Bedouin shepherds bringing their flocks home from the various pastures they've grazed during the day. Often those flocks will end up at the same watering hole around dusk, and they'll all get mixed up together, eight or nine small flocks turning into a convention of thirsty sheep. Their shepherds do not worry about the mix-up at all. When it's time for them to go home, each shepherd will issue his or her own distinctive call a special trill or a whistle or a particular tune on a particular reed pipe. And that shepherd's sheep withdraw from the crowd to follow their shepherd home. They know to whom they belong. They know their shepherd's voice, and it's the only one they will follow. Amen? And that's how it is with you and Jesus. He wants you to know his voice. And then Jesus says, Jesus' sheep don't follow strangers, but they run from them because they don't know their voice. And I have to tell you, there's a lot of stranger voices today. There's a lot of strangers out there. And as I said already, I'm a pastor that's very concerned about all the voices that people are listening to in the time we live. Many voices are masquerading as, voice of, uh, as voices of good and righteousness, but they're voices of agitation and deception. If you hear the voice of Jesus, your shepherd, it will lead you to Christ-like attitudes and behavior. Many are claiming they are hearing Jesus, but the fruit of their lives says differently. Before I finish, I just want to say something about that. If the voices that you're hearing don't lead you to love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, and that neighbor includes your enemies, includes those of a different political party or persuasion, Include those who see everything going on in our society differently than you do. If 
the voices you're listening to cause you to have a response inside of you that sees those people as the enemy and wants to see them taken out. And then you look at the world in terms of us versus them and I'm on the good side and they're on the bad side. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. You have already been led by a voice that isn't the voice of God. You are already deceived. You're already in the enemy's camp because you are not doing what Jesus would do. Jesus would go after his enemies. He would love them, he would die for them, he would give his life for them. So I just want to tell you, if you're going down those roads and you've made your entire faith about your political beliefs or your beliefs about the current things going on in society and you do not love your neighbor and you post memes that call your neighbor names and hate on them, any of that kind of stuff, that is not the voice of Jesus your shepherd. That is the voice of a different stranger. It's not the nature of God. It's not the nature of Jesus. Jesus' nature is the cruciform nature. His life from the moment He came into the world was a life of self-giving love that was benefiting His enemies and those trying to kill Him. And so the question is, whose voice are we listening to? I know this is a strong and a challenging word, but I believe we really got to hear it. Whose voice are we listening to? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. Right? Why? Because he'd like to turn some of our enemies into our friends. Right? Think about the Apostle Paul, enemy and opposer of the church. They started praying for him. I'm sure the church was praying. I, you know, I'll bet you there were some of them in prayer meetings that were praying, God, judge him. Bring him down. Kill him. Shut his mouth. And God's like, I am going to kill him, just not in the way you expect. I'm going to take him to a cross, right? I'm going to slay the Pharisee in him. And I'm, a ra- I'm going to raise one who follows my voice and becomes one of the greatest apostles of all time and writes half of the New Testament and becomes a flame for all history. I'm going to take an enemy and make a friend of him, make him a lover of Jesus, and I'm going to show him great and wonderful things, and I'm going to touch the Gentile world through him. What if we started praying for all our enemies that they become Paul's? Come on, somebody. Here's the thing. If you find you're agitated and angry all the time, if you find you're full of fear about everything going on in the world, if you find that you're looking at your neighbors and people around you suspiciously and you see them through, through a filter that's negative and dark, if you find those things, that's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's a different voice. It's a different spirit. I'm not talking about denial. I'm not talking about pretending it's not happening. I'm not talking about burying your head in the sand. I am talking about seeing through the eyes of God. See, when God looks at the world, He doesn't fall off His throne. He doesn't wring His hands. Angels, what are we going to do with my world? The devil's so big and strong and powerful, and his deception's so powerful. What are we going to do? No, he said, ha. Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth, do your thing. These are the times you show up best. History has shown us that every time the enemy moves in darkness or evil, the Spirit of God counters that with a counter movement, a counter voice, a counter force. Let's believe for it. Amen. Am I talking to anybody? Come on, church. 
I'm going to end with this text, John 10, 16. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I have other sheep too. Can somebody say, okay, he's talking about you. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Okay. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock with one shepherd. Who is Jesus talking about? You and me. And every Gentile and Jew from the time of Christ to the present time and until the time of his second coming. Those are the other sheep. And we're part of that family. There's probably someone here today that is called to be one of Jesus' sheep. And you've never said, Jesus, I trust you. I'm done running from you. Forgive me. You've never known his self-giving love. You've never known what it means to be clean, to be free, to no longer be condemned and shamed. You don't know that. You don't, you, you've never heard maybe Jesus, the crucified one, hung on a Roman torture device, buried in your place and raised to life, living, bodily living, the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus Christ. You've never come to know him. But today's the day. His voice is going out to you. He's the shepherd that loves you and cares for you, and he's calling you, be reconciled to me. Come home today. Quit running, quit wondering, quit being a prodigal. I love you, I gave my life for you. Come home, child. Come home, little lamb. He's calling to you. He wants you today to know him. I want you today to love him, to walk with him, to hear his voice. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I would wager a bet if I was a betting man. I'm not. But I would wager today that there are people in this room that have been talked to by the Holy Spirit as I've been preaching. Not because of my preaching. Not because of me. But because the Lord's word has gone out into your heart. And the Holy Spirit has taken it and driven it home. And you've recognized that you've been listening to strangers and other voices. They've been listening to counter-coaching. And you're ready to be done with it. And you're ready to say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I haven't listened to you. I've listened to other voices. I want to follow you now, Jesus. And I guess I would wonder how many of you that are in this room would be willing to admit that. You'd say, you know what? I've listened to some other voices and it's messed me up. And I'm ready today to just kind of repent of that. Just ask God to forgive me and cleanse me. And then, Lord, start to talk to me again. Let me hear your voice in a fresh way. Is there anybody here that would be bold enough to say that's you? I'll raise my own hand and my other hand and my two legs. Yeah, if that's you, just will you put your hand up for a minute? Just hold your hand up in the air. Let the Lord see. He knows who you are, but let him see. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray that the Lord will speak to you. Just start out by saying, God, forgive me. 
cleanse me. Wash me and renew me. Forgive me for getting caught up in the spirit of the age. Forgive me. Now, Lord, dig my ears. Attune me again to your voice. Let me hear what you would say. Now, Lord, I ask you to speak to my brothers and my sisters all over this room. Breathe on them, Lord. Break the power of stranger voices off of them. Let them hear the voice of Jesus, their shepherd. Forgive them, Lord. I know you do. Jesus, you paid for such as these. This is your bride. This is your flock, Lord. You love them. Cleanse and wash and renew them. Revive them. Restore them. And and Lord, cause them to hear a fresher voice. To hear you calling them by name. I pray even this afternoon, even tonight, even right this minute, or when they wake in the morning or as they sleep at night, they would hear your voice calling them. They would hear you speaking to them. They would begin to recognize God's talking to me again. I'm hearing him in new ways. I'm no longer under that oppression of all the yelling, screaming voices of the time. Lord, liberate us and let us hear your voice again. In Jesus' name. We need you. We desperately need you. We want to be the people who listen to you when you talk to us. Do that work in us, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You know, will you just stay in an attitude of prayer? You stay right where you are. I believe God wants to talk to some of you right now. Do what you need to do to attune your heart to Him. Close your eyes if necessary. But I want to tell you something as you sit there, as you stand there, I should say. You have no idea how beloved you are to God. You are His beloved sons and daughters. You are the sheep of His pasture. You are the bride of Jesus. You're the brothers of Jesus. You're the beloved sons and daughters of your Father. You're the friend and the companion alongside the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not rejecting you. He gave His Son for you. He's not condemning you. If you've blown it and listened to the wrong voices, ask Him to forgive you, repent of it, and turn away and run into His embrace. It's no longer time to wonder. You're back home. You're free. It's that easy. You don't have to crawl on your knees and beat your back. You don't have to prove it to God how bad you feel and how much you've repented. He forgives you right now. He embraces you right now. There is no shame. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. As we continue to pray, if you're here and you'd say, I'm ready to follow Jesus today, I'm ready. And what I mean is you're ready to make a commitment to become a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and you believe Jesus died for your sins. You believe he rose from the dead and you want to enter into his family and you want to become a part of that family and you're ready to take that first step. And that first step is simple trust and faith in him. 
and you're here today and you'd say, that's me. I want to follow him. I'm ready to start following him and journeying with him. I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to be humble enough, bold enough, courageous enough, not to let what other people think of you or any of that get in the way, but for you just to say in a public setting before Jesus and before the body of Christ, that's me. I'm ready to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you put your hand up and just kind of wave it like this so that I know that you've made that decision. You want to start to follow him today. You're here and you'd say, I want to follow Jesus Christ today and become one of his children. I see your hand, sweetie.